Hi everyone, you're listening to Hazel Finley on the Curious Clem podcast. In this episode of the podcast, I'm speaking to Rosie Watson. Rosie Watson is a runner and a climate change activist. She studied environment and business. She got a first class honours degree at the University of Leeds, and then she worked with various organisations fighting climate change. Uh, But she says that most useful and and interesting in her education was working with Mike Berners-Lee. He's the author of How Bad Are Bananas? The Carbon Footprint of Everything. And his work is a mix of consulting, academic research and communication which you know, he communicates science literature through he, these books. And Rosie was heavily involved in the writing of his latest book, which is called uh, There's No Planet B. They also co-authored an academic paper about food systems. And she's also recently been on a run. Uh, she ran to... She was trying to run to Mongolia but didn't quite make it because of the conflict in Azerbaijan. And she was doing that run to raise awareness of of different ways of of travelling. So we connected over email because she wrote a piece called Building a Sustainable Outdoor Community After COVID-19. I thought the piece was really interesting and contained some, some great practical ideas of how we can use the COVID pandemic as a a bit of a fresh start in order to be more sustainable as a community. We had a bit of a back and forth over email and she she just seemed really interesting and like she'd be someone to good good to have on the podcast so I invited her on and I think we have a pretty interesting conversation. It's an honest conversation and we, we talk about a lot at times, uh, you might be able to notice that I'm a little bit uncomfortable because obviously as a professional athlete and sort of an influencer in this community, there are various things that I personally could do better. Okay, so what do we talk about? We talk about what COVID means for climate change. We talk about individual versus big change, where to put your energy as an individual we talk as bra- about brands and events and the changes that need to happen there. We talk about the sort of hypocritical nature of being an adventure athlete. We talk about what it is that we perceive as aspirational in our community and how that might need to change. How we celebrate high impact lifestyles. Uh, we talk about climate change being a whole community effort which takes the emphasis away from individuals. We talk about this phrase, don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. We talk about flight shaming and guilt and kind of shaming people via social media and how it would be better if we were more supportive towards people. We talk about greenwashing and offsetting. We talk about the clothing industry and the message of reuse rather than continually buying new things and we talk about the responsibility of influencers to change the way they talk about travel so lots of sort of hard-hitting stuff and 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 we do we do really cover a lot in this conversation i do recommend reading her article though as well and i'll put a link to that 
in the notes of the podcast. Uh, So yeah, that's it. Enjoy this one and thanks always for listening. Welcome to the podcast, Rosie. We don't know each other, do we? So um, it's a bit different no. from other, other podcasts I've done, but we have corresponded a bit by email. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe just start by just giving us like a little bit of a backstory about who you are and sort of like your your interest in climate activism. And then also like maybe tell us a little bit about what you've been up to recently with this run that you've been on as well. Yeah. So I'll, yeah, I guess I'll start with the run. Um, So what I've been doing recently for the last uh, 13 months is um, I created an adventure called the New Story Run. And I set off from where I am now, the Lake District, where I'm from, to run to Mongolia, um, and which on a roughly 12,000 kilometre route, carrying all of my stuff, really low budget, um and the purpose was to meet people and tell the stories of people who were tackling the climate crisis and making what I was calling like a new story so trying to make it's basically trying to make the world better because it's anything related to the climate crisis so like equality biodiversity and trying to communicate that kind of thing in a way which people connect to more um and in a more positive way to show that life would be better if we made changes not worse and also to show those stories across lots of different countries um not just the ones we maybe associate with you know like high-tech sustainability like scandinavia and stuff um so that i had to stop a few weeks ago because the countries I was going to go to next, Georgia and Azerbaijan, had been closed for the whole year. They just, you can't go there. <laughs> so I'd made it 4,800 kilometres to the end of Bulgaria, the Black Sea, and then had to leave it there. But I guess before that, my um, background in terms of thinking and looking at the climate crisis, um, I did a degree in environment and business in Leeds, and then did lots of different bits of work, uh, like an internship in New Zealand, and then worked with Mike Berners-Lee, who wrote How Bad Are Bananas and There's No Planet B, who I also then interviewed for the article, which is what we, I guess, virtually met because of. (laughs) Um, And yeah, he writes books, but also is a consultant and just loads of different work and yeah, I worked with him a few times and then in more charity jobs as well, one in Edinburgh. And then that all led up to me then just leaving and going on this trip because I guess running and be, doing kind of outdoor, like mountain running and also other like climbing, I do a tiny bit of climbing as well. Um, it's like just as much my main passion as trying to kind of tackle this big global problem so I wanted to merge those two things together which is why I came up with this trip great cool so how receptive have people been to that story obviously you didn't get to Mongolia but that's still really far to run isn't it how far you ran so um yeah like what's been the response I think yeah it's gone 
better than I ever thought it might so far. Like when I set off, I kind of didn't want to put much pressure on it. I'd never done anything that big before. And I, my main worry is that I was going to do a month or something and then be really bored or like just not be enjoying myself. So I kind of had a really relaxed approach at the beginning and was just like, I'll just set off and see what happens. And if I really think it is, you know, carry like worth carrying on with, then I will. And it did, I think it has taken off in a really good way and it's been really rewarding and um yeah I guess more and more of a following and not just like you know social media followers but um opened opportunities to have more conversations on a wider level like this one we're having now and also writing that article for Adventure Uncovered um and then in terms of the people I met on the way uh I guess it's the aim isn't for me to influence them. It's more to share their stories. So it's more in that way, it's more listening as opposed to talking, which I think is really interesting. And then trying to communicate that in a way that people will want to read. So yeah, there's kind of lots of different dimensions, but so far it's going well in conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> and who were this pe- some of the most interesting people that you met? And can you kind of share a few of their stories maybe? Yeah, um, I guess one category of people I often meet are more focused on protesting. Um, So one of the most eye-opening ones at the beginning, um, there's a forest called Hambacher Forest in Germany, and there's, I think it's a tenth of the forest left. And the forest is like a really ancient forest. But the only reason that tenth of it is left is because activists have just been living in the trees. Um, they just got scrap materials and created like a whole structure of tree houses and ropes between them and everything. Um, and that's the only reason the coal mine hasn't been able to take that final piece of forest. Um, and yeah, I think that was really interesting because it uh, demonstrated the power of uh, like a small group mm. and also showed the scale of the power that they're up against because um there was a big is the word expose or expose you know when what's that <laughs> word when people expose you know, when, expose right? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um of of basically the police and this mining company and the government trying to work together to communicate these activists as like um dangerous and mm like putting them in a really bad light and then it backfired on them and the whole of the public came to protest with them and there was this big Mm. story of everyone working against these powers and that was really interesting but that's really interesting as well because you think of Germany as being a really kind of green country really progressive country but there's still kind of battles going on in the most green countries yeah I found that really interesting because my impression running through Germany I I wouldn't obviously on paper they are supposed to be one of the green countries but you get such an interesting perspective when you travel everywhere by foot like Mm. literally every single mile that you go is by foot I don't think you can get it Mm. in any other way because 
especially going all the way from Western Europe into Eastern Europe, mm. the most shocking thing I found was going into Eastern Europe, seeing the amount of wilderness, um, mm. like for a mountain lover, for example, on the map, there'd be whole ridges which say they're just there's no paths or anything and then you'd see that there were all these paths like just places that people either haven't been or only you know the locals in the know would have been and there's mm. so much space that it made me kind of look back on western europe and think wow we really think we're like the leaders and we're mm. actually we're where the mess is <laughs> mm. we're the like the peak of destruction um, so that was really interesting in Germany, I guess was the first place I started thinking that. Okay. Right. Yeah. And what other people did you meet that were interesting? Further East, I found there was some really interesting projects to do with biodiversity because, uh, like I said, there's so much space still mm. for other species, which aren't humans. Um, for example, in Montenegro, I can't, there's a statistic it was something like you know there's different categories for um UNESCO like protected areas and there's different mm. criteria for becoming one of those it was something like 70 percent of the whole of Montenegro could be classified as a protected area under that criteria because there's just so much uh, like biodiversity and richness in the land okay. there still um, so I met some really inspiring people trying to work to protect that and managing to convince governments to kind of avoid the path that would then lead to it becoming more like Western Europe in terms of mm. the biodiversity. So, yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, how much of it do you think is kind of like the, the efforts of local people to protect those areas versus the fact that you know richer countries at attract industrialization and immigration and there's a lot of pulls to richer countries right um and so that leaves the a po poorer countries with more wilderness it's sort of like a bit of a trade-off there I guess yeah that's the other interesting thing I found because like in the whole Balkan area a lot of the reason it would have had less development is because there's been so much war. So it's not like mm. because of a positive thing. Mm. Um, because, you know, like Croatia, I never knew how amazing Croatia was for mountains. I just associated it with the sea, but there's endless trails in Croatia, but you go, you're like on the top of a mountain, then you come down to a just off the peak and there'll be a whole village there but completely abandoned there won't be anyone living yeah. there and you can really see why a lot of it's been preserved because you there's this whole period of time when it's been a war zone so yeah there's different it's such a complicated region that I went through and there's lots of different reasons why it's got some of those positives and they're not all negative I mean sorry they're not all positive why those things are <laughs> There. yeah it's a, it's a little bit like what's going on with covid right like everyone understands covid as a net negative right it's like terrible you know a lot yeah. of people are suffering hugely all around the world but there is this weird and it's not good to call it a silver lining i don't think but there are some positive impacts on the environment 
um, or on the effort to reduce emissions at least. I don't know if you want to move on to kind of talking a little bit about how you see climate change and its relationship to the COVID epidemic. Um, and then I guess on, on the back of that is like as an outdoor community, how are each of these things um, affecting the outdoor community and why now might be a good time to talk about climate change um, in a different way? Mm. Yeah, I think the first part of that question there's like a lot of questions in one. Yeah, sorry, that was a bit of a bad question, wasn't <laughs> it? But I guess I guess it's just sort of like maybe I could put it like this: COVID, climate change, discuss. Like where where yeah. do you want to go with that? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, like you said, in terms of the environment, there was a lot of positives, at least in the short term, from everything just stopping and just closing down in terms of travel, especially. Um, and I think, I don't know, I think it's too hard to know long term if that will help or if there'd be a backlash. I don't really know, but I think it is a really good opportunity for, say, organisations who are having to rethink everything about how they run anyway to then use that time to also completely rethink about the climate crisis because coronavirus obviously it's a massive deal with huge impacts but when you compare that to climate breakdown it's just minuscule so I think on in the one it can't be like a distraction because we just can't afford that it needs to it needs to be in the response because obviously we have to deal with the short term but the long term problem of the climate well not even the long term the less short term yeah. problem of the climate crisis is still the most important thing ever in humanity that's ever really happened that we yeah. need to deal with so I think it's interesting how I don't know the perspectives people take of that yeah it, it is interesting I guess it's it, it sort of like points to kind of the you know the the fundamental drives of a human like it's it's really difficult for us to care about future generations we're just not programmed mm -hmm. that way um it's just not like part of our psychology really like you could even say it's kind of impressive that we care at all you know in a way I think the fact that we are going to have children and we probably care about them is kind of the the, the main thing the main driver there um but it's also like it points to kind of like the weird aspect of climate change which is that it's like it's sort of present if you look for it but if you're you're not looking you might be confused that it's not there at all you know it's this huge kind of big slow moving crisis it's not like war or a pandemic where you know you see your neighbor get sick or you see a family mm. member die or you know you seeing conflict in the streets it's this it's it's like a weird kind of crisis that I think people find very difficult to feel any emotive drive to do something about um yeah yeah what do you think about that I think um in terms of seeing the impacts I think on the one hand we do 
see the impacts because for example places where there's more and more and more and more natural disasters of more and more extremes they are when you look at the trends over time you can connect them to the climate crisis that's why they're happening more frequently I think the difficult thing is you can't single out one event and say this one is definitely because of this because it's more like a trend thing yeah and I think the other difficult thing is a lot of the really big impacts where it's more obvious so for example Mongolia where I'm planning to end the run um I haven't been there before but people I know who've been there have said they're so aware of the impacts there it's all around them it's affecting everything but the places where those impacts are felt are often the places with less power to do anything about it because the countries which are essentially driving it and need to make the most changes aren't where it's as obvious we're kind of insulated just like in the UK and other countries nearby so it's yeah. yeah it's easy it's easy to not think about it I mean I've worked in it and studied in it so I'm always thinking about it but I can see yeah. how I don't know if you're you might occasionally be like oh yeah that that thing that's a bit worrying cool I'll just go back to my day I can see how people can do that but at the same time even me when I say a new report comes out and I'm like I sit down I'm like right I'm finally gonna get my head around what this says it always really freaks me out when just when all the facts come back to me I'm just sat there Mm -hmm. like this is so bad like this is really serious but you can't hold that level of urgency in your head all the time like I think you said it's not well it's impossible you can't be in that state of like urgency and we've seen that with coronavirus as well everyone was really scared for a short period of time and now everyone's a bit like oh you know maybe I'll just go see my friends or whatever yeah totally I mean (laughs) even like the blitz or something people weren't that anxious about the bombs after a while were they they're just like yeah it's, it's amazing that the sort of what happened um yeah it's like we can't we can't be in a state of imminent threat the whole time yeah. um and also people have different beliefs and we live in an age of um misinformation you know if the the president of the united states is saying that climate change doesn't exist and you know if you're religious maybe you believe that the the, the strange weather is is caused by God. You know, there's, there's different be- ways of understanding things. And obviously the science is, is conclusive now around climate change. It's just undeniable if you trust science, but so many people don't trust science, you know? So it's yeah. like, but even if you are someone like me, who's well-educated, well-informed, trust science, it's still really hard to care about it every day. You know, um, you're working in it and, it's also like, I think part of it is that when I do become interested in it, it becomes so overwhelming. It's so negative that you feel completely paralyzed to do anything mm. on an individual level as well. Mm. So just like circling back to the whole COVID thing, like why do you think now might be a good time for us to think about this more and maybe make individual changes? I do want to talk a little bit about what change looks like and whether it needs to you know like there's individual level and there's government level right and Mm. um but just coming back to the whole covid thing like why might now be good to assess what change might look like i 
think I think um I think any time is good to assess what yeah. change. Like, we should, we should, or I mean, we should already be further down the line. Yeah. Than we are. Like yeah. now is the time, but more like yesterday was the time. So yeah. yeah, I think just coronavirus in places where people are richer has, because when people are richer, that typically means more impact on the world. Mm. Um, in lots of different ways and coronavirus has just slowed everything down so for anyone who's not just thinking about survival which I know lots of people are even more than before now then any opportunity for any time is a good time to start making changes (laughs) so I think yeah it's I think another aspect as well is that I mean they've traced the fact that this virus has appeared um, back to the fact that humans are taking up more and more space and we're closer and closer to wild animals and viruses that we've not been exposed to before. So this is something that could happen again. I mean, hopefully not, but potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not even unconnected in the cause the, to the climate and biodiversity crisis. So um I think the fact that it's given a pause to lots of people is just a good opportunity although any time is a good opportunity (laughs) yeah I guess for outdoor people specifically like for myself for example I've had to stay in one place for like the first time and Mm. I've and it's forced me to kind of enjoy my local area a bit more but you know like I think we're we're kind of exploring our back gardens a bit more back our backyards as, as the Americans say and so maybe that's gonna help like I think I did like this Twitter poll that was you know I how saw is, it. yeah how is COVID affect how are you going to change your relationship to travel after COVID mm. or something like that. And it was like, I plan to travel more. I plan to travel less. I plan to travel differently. No one was really saying they plan to travel less, but I think part of that is because they're like, well, I've traveled less for like half a year now. So mm. it, it, I kind of want to travel afterwards. But I think a lot of people said travel differently and it was traveling less on flights. And now part of that is probably going to be that you're more likely to catch coronavirus on a flight than you are on other modes of transport. Um, but maybe part of it as well is like reflecting on maybe how you've not traveled as much or been able to fly and what that's looked like. Maybe you ha- go for a holiday a bit closer to home kind of thing. But I guess not a negative, but the other side of that is, and, and this is just something that I've I've been coming across through a bit of research I've been doing is this idea that, you know, COVID basically ground all transport to a halt and a lot of industry. And they don't know what impact that's going to have on carbon emissions. Like I think they're guessing between a one and eight percent decrease depending on Mm -hmm. whether we lock down again, like what countries lock down in a second wave. Yeah. But like, it's really unlikely that we would get a change in consciousness that reflects that level of reduction in travel, right? 
you know, like even if we made like huge efforts, the number of people who care that much, the number of people who can who can afford to, you know, for a lot of people, not traveling means not working. And so this idea of what we can do individually is never going to turn the ship around. Um, Mm. And it has to come through big changes in the energy. So movement towards greener energy, but then also taking carbon from the atmosphere with various methods. So like, you know, like a lot of climate activism seems to focus on changing people's consciousness so that they have better, make better decisions and have a smaller impact. And then some climate activism activism seems to be focused on bigger stuff, like bigger government, like the way we, we use energy and everything. How do you see kind of what you do and how you think about this fitting into to those two categories? Yeah, that's a really interesting topic. I think that in terms of making it about individuals so for example there's so much like bombardment of you know oh change to a bamboo toothbrush mm-hmm. like just get a toothbrush that's really not going to change the world but i think and also that is what big companies want you to think mm-hmm. and the more you look into it the more you find that they really they're just using that to their advantage to carry on doing much, much bigger destructive stuff because they want you to believe it's just a moral personal flaw, which is just uh, not true. Um, But I think individual action is important because um, personally, and I know others have felt the same is it, it kind of gives you, Uh, I guess it can be empowering and it can give you as long as you're not kidding yourself that it's the only thing you should be doing it can I guess make you feel a bit more in line with your own values if it's something that you are you know occasionally zipping into and then thinking oh god you know it it's basically a way of dealing with that anxiety because Mm. um yeah I've uh, a few people emailed me when I was doing my run saying, oh, how do you cope with, you know, thinking about this stuff all the time? And I was kind of like, I'm fine because I'm do- I feel like I'm doing something about it. That's mm. the mo- I think that's the most positive way of dealing with that anxiety is if you're doing something, it kind of becomes an exciting thing. You're like, wow, yeah, I can like, I can really get involved in making a positive world because any change that we make, is going to be towards a world that's more positive than what will happen if we don't make that change. So I guess that's why I tried to create, like my project's called The New Story Run, because anything we do, even though they are massive changes we need to do, they will all result in a better world, which is something that is often not the angle that is communicated in the media, which is a bit apocalyptic. Yeah. Um, I guess it's sort of like where do you put your energy and what sacrifices do you choose to make and also I guess that like for you this is your world your job so it's very Mm. easy for you to have a passion for it but say your passion something like rock climbing or um or anything else you know even if it's like something that's really gonna um yeah maybe you're like a meditation teacher or like you're like a 
you work in mental health or something, but it requires you flying around. If you fly and you talk to 100 people somewhere or you're, you're doing some work somewhere across the world that's causing this huge positive impact, but you've burned a whole lot of carbon to get there, it, it, it is confusing and, and difficult to kind of weigh up what's more important, I feel like, for a lot of people. Yeah, I can understand. Yeah, I can understand it because to get, I think, to get a clear grasp of like priorities and the issues, it's because of the amount of misinformation. It can be quite hard, and yeah, there's a lot of misinformation about sustainability. And like, if you Google "what can I do," if I went through a list of web pages, I'd probably go through them, and I'd be like, "This one's rubbish. This one's rubbish. This one's rubbish." Right, okay. But I can get, I can get that. See, I wouldn't know. I would maybe know the few things, but I mean, even saying something like don't eat meat, right? If you then only eat food that's been flown from really far away, that's come from a type of monoculture, um, cropping agriculture that's really harmful to the soil or even deforests parts of the Amazon to burn that, to grow that crop like palm oil or something, it's like what did you actually do there you know so it's like it's just extremely complicated and it's almost like you need a degree in it to really kind of understand your impact right I mean there's obvious ones but but the, but the person who's got other stuff going on and who's not and I guess maybe this is what we can talk about right what do you think are the main things to focus on especially people from the outdoor community I think um just going quickly back to the question before, like individual impact versus mm. kind of more systemic, uh, higher level, trying to direct that your energy that way. I think that's what you just said there about it being so complicated is the negative of trying to make it too much about individual impact because yeah. there's no way everyone can know all the information of exactly what thing to buy. Like there mm. are good guidelines, like if you reduce red meat and your dairy then that is a really good start and you should yeah. think about like flying is bad full stop but yeah I think the most important thing anyone could do is I guess be more like politically active as one mm. thing and I think when I wrote this article about how the outdoor community can respond to the climate crisis, one of the really positive things I had back from feedback was the amount of people who replied and said said things like, oh yeah, since I went to this one protest, the only protest I've ever been to, Extinction Rebellion in London, it completely changed my perspective and now I feel much more motivated. So I think if you if you're struggling with all the things on an individual level it's you can definitely waste a lot of your own time when if you just think about think thought about i guess more like political activism if there's a protest maybe just you only have to go along and just be an extra body that's yeah. one of the most useful things you could do is just put yourself there you don't have to do anything you don't have to say anything it's just if there's a protest that's a really good thing to do and then the other thing um the outdoor community I find really interesting because 
I think there's so much scope for being like a really positive impact on the world. And if people were kind of saw the changes leading to positives of how much could actually happen in that community and even be uh, like inspiration for other communities. But I think at the moment we're kind of like a blockage. No one really wants to, I feel like there's lots of things people are just kind of like, oh no, they they associate it with giving things up, like you said, sacrifices mm. and that anxiety in it. But I think if we could get past that, then there could be so much that the outdoor community as a whole. And so that's thinking, not thinking, oh, me as an individual, that's thinking, what's my influence in that community and how can that change? That has loads of potential. But it needs it just needs like questioning of everything. So for example, you said some people might be thinking, I can't do my job without flying. We have to reduce flights full stop. So I think having that as like a starting fact, like you don't need to be a scientist. Well, you just have to have some trust in science to know that that's a fact. But if you start from that and then for example, if you're an athlete, talk to the brands that you're working with and saying if if they're requiring you to fly say it like we all know it's a fact that we can't carry on flying regularly how are we going to deal with that yeah I think like the outdoor community everyone's everyone's already into the whole idea of taking on challenges and like challenging the impossible and mm-hmm. like um and there's already a big love for the natural world everyone already has that in place so I think if we could just get back past the idea of it being like a sacrifice and um, that kind of thing, then I think there'd be a lot of opportunity for really f- yeah. fun, positive stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really difficult, isn't it? Because I think, you know, I think a lot of people would, obviously we know flying's bad, um, but then you also know that you could, that flying accounts for like 3% of emissions and, that individual changes in flying are never going to be enough and so I think it's like you know so I've, I've sort of read that if you can do one thing like the, the, the thing that's gonna have the biggest impact is not flying right um which has personally been really difficult for me because I fly so much <laughs> and I yeah. think that like one of the 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 difficult things as well about being someone with like a large following in the in the sport is that you feel like you can't talk about climate change because you're a hypocrite right so even though I feel like I make an effort to reduce my flights um I still fly way more than most people and that's that is partially how the industry works as well as my own kind of just not making enough effort but basically that I think puts a bit of a barrier in the way because then you think, well, who am I to sort of talk about this or t- not tell other people what to do, but you know, so much of social media is like, do this, do that. You're a bad person. If you don't do this, you're a bad person. If you don't say something about this immoral thing that's happening in the world and like, it's difficult to kind of go, okay, I want to have a positive influence without being that person um Mm. 
but I think that's um and you could also see that as an example of not focusing on individual change so for example you're you're an example of someone with like a big following you don't want to go out and say oh you know we should all reduce our travel because that's focusing I don't know that's again focusing on individual change it's relying on every single person putting in this effort to make every single action I guess it should be more thinking about at the moment athletes as a whole have to fly like you said it helps your career it's like what you do but that also needs to change so it's it's like thinking of it as a whole thing so for example brands and events are one of the things I focused on in the article and I think everything could happen that already happens without flying and I think like you said I focus on flying when talking about the outdoor community because even though it's a, it's in some ways one of the smaller things but individually it's one of the bigger things mm. but I in terms of the outdoor community I think one of the problems is or the, one of the biggest problems is what we hold up as aspirational mm. so at the moment what we hold up as aspirational and, and you can see this in what gets written stories about what the films are about what people get interviewed about it's about traveling a lot and the more I mean they do often it's often things to do with flying so like get getting a helicopter dropped in like a mm, really remote place it's like oh bad. so rad <laughs> yeah like yeah and or for example doing um there's like, I heard of a project recently it was like someone trying to do what they considered the best climbs in every continent in a short space of time mm. seeing as that as like something aspirational of being all over the world really fast and yeah. like that as well as one of the other big impacts um like the consumption like consumerism and the way brands mm. have kind of unfiltered infiltrated everything it's more like what is the image that we hold up as what the rest of the community then gets kind of you see it as this thing that you should aim for if you're in that community and mm. I think that's where the biggest change needs to be made but we often skim past that because you, it's so easy to get bogged down by these individual changes but I think the reason I wanted to write the article was to try and push the attention that way of like what we're celebrating mm. is a really high impact lifestyle and the ways we can change that would be really positive and they don't require us to focus on each individual and it's more like a whole community effort that makes yeah. sense that sounds quite cheesy no it's nice um yeah yeah I, I yeah I've not heard people sort of explain it in that way and I think that is nice and it, it does really make sense it's like it's sort of the ideals that we have as a, the back like the values we have as a community and I think that your piece really did kind of point to the hypocrisy in it a little bit of like we're supposed to be or like these lovers of nature and yet often our choices are harmful towards nature and I think we're good with some things you know like protecting 
natural spaces and um at least the climbing community is i don't know about the running community but yeah we never talk that much about travel and flying and i think that one one huge barrier and i know it is for myself is is the feeling of hypocrisy but i think it's a little bit like the meat thing like if it, everyone kind of wants to be able to say that they're a vegetarian or a vegan or something and but if they feel like they can't be a vegetarian or vegan for whatever reason or like that that's like a bit of a too much of a personal sacrifice they then just eat loads of meat you know whereas like you could In protest just, yeah or, or just because it's like well if I can't be good then I'll just be bad you know yeah like, like you could be somewhere in the middle and I think that's kind of what I've tried to do with my life is um you know you can heavily reduce stuff without you know getting rid of it completely and I think that if we maybe I read this term and I really like it flight shaming it's like sounds a bit like fat sick yeah <laughs> and um, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of flight shaming that goes around and I think that in some ways it makes people retract from the effort because they just feel like oh well I'm really not going to sacrifice going on a trip once or twice a year so then I'm you know then I'm just not going to engage with this at all and I'm not going to think about reducing emissions or offsetting or anything like I'm not going to do anything in the middle and so I wonder if if it is a bit more how you've described as a bit more of like a this these are the things we value we're not going to idolize like huge consumption and like adventures that require flying around the world all the time um you know what would that look like and I think that COVID has done a lot to help that in a way because I don't I don't know if you've seen this but like there's been a lot of virtual events so you know there's mm. this one event called the Yosemite facelift that I'm somewhat involved with and it usually requires all these people flying around the world and they ask me every year to come and I usually well I've always said no actually because it's not when I would be in Yosemite otherwise and mm. um, but then that has meant that I've missed out on that but this year, because no one can go, they've done it virtually and everyone just does a cleanup local to their home. And the mm. people who live in Yosemite do a cleanup there, but it hasn't required everyone flying. And that's COVID's forced people's hand, but it it's kind of been like a practice run, I guess. And then in the future, hopefully events will take that format mm. of more virtual format, I guess. Yeah. And I think um there's also like I said there's a lot that can still happen without flying but can still happen in person like for example um I've been involved in there's an ultra running company who I've been kind of informally chatting to about lots of ideas since writing the article and I mean if on the face of it they're like a, one of those companies that has a big ultra run in like every continent and people go in just for a race and then they're off yeah everyone's gonna fly there and when you look at it on the face of it you think you can't exist without that but they've actually been really open to just taking the fact that that can't be the future like they can't we can't mm. have a future where that amount of flying is so what are they going to do and mm. for example um Killian Journey has been talking about this as well the idea of having more like one running festival 
per continent or something where there's I don't know two weeks of races people come to it by trains and that's actively like um featured in the like social media and all of the marketing around it yeah Um, it's part of the like the like you know identity that they're selling and that could work like it would be there would be no negative to running to competitiveness to all the things that we love about the sport um I think sometimes yeah with some like creative thinking there wouldn't be that many sacrifices if yeah I feel like I'm just repeating what I said before now but (laughs) yeah 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 no I think um yeah that's a good idea and I think that train trains are a good example right like there there has to be change in government because the incentives just don't line up for low emission travel like Mm, I I mean they've done they've done kind of good stuff with EVs and, and grants for EVs and that kind of thing but for example it will cost me less to fly from Manchester to Greece then it would be for me to get the train from where I live to Manchester. And I just, I just live near Bangor, which is like, you know, it's a couple of hour drive. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's crazy, isn't it? It's like, you really have to be like a super well-meaning person to spend a lot of money to pick a... And wealthy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have to be wealthy. You also have to have time. And I think you you talked about this um, in your piece, like we have to change the way we uh, employers um, give out holiday because mm. there isn't the time for slow travel in a normal work week yeah. holiday that we get and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it it does. Obviously, we, you can't isolate one issue and then say, right, we'll do this and then we've solved it. Because mm. everything, the whole culture we have at the moment is set up to support the status quo. Um, so, yeah, there are lots of different pieces to it, which is why my article was so long and had so many topics. <laughs> I think there's lots of things that could happen to encourage that. And one of them is to kind of make that the the things the stories we kind of find interesting as a community Mm, um and I think some of the things in the outdoor community which could help which are already there which can really help change happen is like there's a lot of like sharing stories already Mm. which people like we talked about like emotional connection you kind of need that to um feel more engaged in an issue mm. and the outdoor community already does that really well you know there's like all the mountain yeah. festivals and films and everything that's already a tool that the whole community has to which could create a lot of change um and then yeah I think also it, it has to be at the moment, like you said, when you try and dip into that topic, it's kind of all really negative. Mm. But like I, you, I just can't reiterate enough that any change we make would be a positive 
and like it can also be really like a fun thing um it's basically like yeah. a creative problem of yeah like, right, this act we need to basically overhaul everything what are we gonna do so like yeah. <laughs> I guess anyone can like start that conversation in whatever circles they're in whether it's oh, I don't know if they're a builder you know the whole of how we build buildings need to be changed or if you're an athlete and you work with brands you work with uh, like I don't know some people work with edu- like teaching younger people or you're like a motivation coach it comes into everything kind of yeah it's, yeah need to redesign a world that's more based on values I guess yeah it's a sustainable world I I also like this um phrase don't let perfect get away in the of the good and I know that it's a a bit of a cop-out in a way but it's still better it's still Mm -hmm. like you know if because because and I, I think you also said this in an email that you wrote to me that you know everyone's a hypocrite in some way you know because everyone could do something more um and but yeah don't let perfect get in the way of the good in the sense of um if you can't be perfect you could still be better um so that kind of helps me feel a bit more positive about it because there is a sense that if you can't do all these things or you don't want to, because that's, that's the truth of it in a way, isn't it? It's like a lot of us could make drastic changes, but we really don't want to make that kind of sacrifice. And so, Mm. but you could make some sacrifices or you could do something a bit better. And I quite like, you know, this, um, you know, you create, it's a creative approach and it could be a fun adventure. And I've, uh, yeah, we were, we were looking up kind of doing a low emissions trip around Europe. Um, and that's what we would be doing now, actually. It, but COVID kind of ruined it. But I feel like, I but COVID is like the 2020 catchphrase. Yeah, but COVID, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it can happen but, another time. Yeah. Um, I think I, the, sorry, go on. The, the phrase, don't let, what is it? Don't let perfect get in the way of good. Yeah, I always struggle with that phrase, but I understand the meaning. So um, I think on an individual level, that's like really important to remember because everyone is a hypocrite. And um, with the Extinction Rebellion protests, that's one of the things I think they did really well is you can turn up, anyone can turn up. You know, you could turn up if you were CEO of an oil company and you could tell them and they'd just be like, welcome along. Mm. (laughs) So like yeah don't get bogged down on like individual I don't know guilt is basically the most it's a thing that just makes people freeze you can't do anything from a point of guilt if you're making yourself which is why flight shaming is such a unproductive thing on the other hand one of the big things I talked about in the article was um brands and the kind of influence that brands have on this aspiration and um I talked a bit about greenwashing and I think we need to also be kind of or try and be better at calling some things out not individuals and not blaming individuals but some Mm -hmm. kind of bigger things out so for example um lots of brands now are kind of 
bringing out sustainability reports and they are making some steps but at the same time we need to make sure that that isn't basically just reassuring us that things are getting better when the bottom line is still consumerism 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 so i think i guess the word put it i made a note of it earlier is we need to make sure that things that are like communicated as baby steps don't hold the status quo in position for longer but that's something that should be kind of directed to not individuals uh, I guess it's just okay. being critical of like um organizations and there's a lot of greenwashing in the world that kind of thing so I guess it's it's kind of seeing the challenges or like the one of the things I wanted to open up with this article is I talk about a lot of really difficult topics which people will find maybe challenging on lots of different levels but that I think it would really benefit us if we saw that as like um an exciting thing um mm. as something where we can we don't have to all agree on stuff we but we can enjoy having the discussion and like trying to hold each other to account and being like but what do you mean by that because that's where you really get to the bottom of things I think so I found it really encouraging some of the responses from the article from different organizations um and especially even ones which have said oh we had a bit of a discussion in the office we were all in different agreements to it that to me shows that it's like a really positive sign because it means that we're really getting into the meaty bits as opposed to mm. skimming over it. So I, yeah, that was a tangent. I can't remember what your original question was or what. Well, you were just talking about that phrase, don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. And yeah, and yeah I think you did a good, a good job there of explaining kind of that we, we do. Yeah. Cause all organizations are the biggest changes governments and organizations right and I guess we can try to affect both so like maybe with protests it's it's government or like who you vote for or any interaction you have politically is going to be uh, dealing with the government governmental side and then brands organizations within the outdoor community we also have effects there I mean mm -hmm you know as much as call out culture is hugely negative we may as well use that power a little bit um to yeah. influence brands um i think it's it's difficult though isn't it because the 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 world is still capitalist and so profit still drives things um so but yeah but if, if consumers aren't happy um then then brands will change Hmm. I think um, like the perfect and the good thing with brands um, there's an like for example there's a organization called rerun who've started and they basically take in um, secondhand running clothes and then resell them and then they're, they're really trying to challenge the idea that if you want to buy you know a sustainable pair of shorts because you're thinking oh I want to be more sustainable actually you should just buy a secondhand pair or you should just use the ones you've already got where and they're really like an example of trying to 
just rethink mm. how we do things. Whereas another brand might be saying, oh, buy our sustainable shorts. We have a sale now and it comes with a free top and um, you can buy mm. it in the sale. That's still just consumerism, even yeah. if it's made out of a recycled material. So, yeah, I think it's it's kind of on the one hand, yeah, not being too toxic in the call out culture. But on the other hand, I guess just trying to, it's kind of trying to help each other to do better as opposed to pulling each other down. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, I guess moralizing it all really, isn't it? It's like if you make someone feel like a really bad person, they're not going to engage in the discussion. They're not going to be interested mm. in what you've got to say. They're not going to be persuaded. Um, and they're not going to feel like they want to engage in positive change at all. So, yeah, I think we sort of hyper-moralize almost everything these days. Mm. And I, I don't know, actually, if it helps a lot of the time. I read a really interesting article. No, was it a podcast I listened to about Twitter? And um, it was called, like, The Age of Outrage or something mm. about how social media just kind of uh, intensifies this kind of yeah like moralizing everything and being outraged at everything and well it's if you're kind outraged you which... keep reading don't you keep looking at your phone yeah. and you yeah. keep going down that outrage rabbit hole that keeps you on youtube for hours yeah <laughs> yeah and it's it's like you well it's not something which our species is like like used it's like such a recent thing mm. before if we ever you know were outraged by someone or what they said you would have to you'd have to meet them face to face and you'd have to have a discussion and you, if you got into a fight you were going to get hurt and it was like a risk now you can just sit on twitter and be mm. outraged and then feel yeah. like you've done something and it's the, i think the interesting thing was about how it's it's so far from how we evolved to be and it's such a recent thing that it's like a, a vicious cycle I guess yeah just I'll, I'll just say one thing that I think we haven't spoken about and I know that we um had a little bit of a disagreement around in the emails we exchanged was on offsetting oh yeah so I offset my flights with mossy earth who kind of do this tree planting stuff and it's coupled with like biodiversity and rewilding initiatives the pros for offsetting are that planting and biodiversity and rewilding are good things but the negative is that it allows people to feel like they can fly guilt-free um or mm. they can or they don't have to reduce their flying because it's like if, i guess in some people's minds maybe they feel like they did this bad thing but then they got a eraser and they erased out the thing and that's not how it works right because you release carbon into the atmosphere through, through flying and then if if you lock it in even if you lock in the same number of tons of carbon that carbon's already had a warming effect and the number of tons that's locked in by the plants it takes years to happen right the positive effect of that so 
you've still contributed to to warming. Do you agree with how I've kind of laid out the pros and cons there? I think on a technical side of pros and cons of offsetting, if you're looking at it on an individual level, is one thing is the additionality, which is basically for an offsetting scheme to really have be kind of pushing the world in the right direction it needs to be in addition to what should already be happening already mm. and so few of those pass that test um and Mike Berners-Lee who I interviewed for this I chose him to interview because I've worked for him before and I know that he is so hot on like really nailing down the truth or like does this actually mm. add up which yeah um, is actually surprisingly rare and when I asked him about offsetting he said there's barely anything that passes that test in his opinion. So, but I think that's on the technical side, but I think the more important point I think I tried to make in the email to you was I find it problematic when someone who has influence, whether it's an individual or an organization communicates offsetting intentionally or not intentionally as a solution, because then Mm. that's not just, a personal decision that's an influence you then put out to a lot of followers and mm-hmm. it's a conversation I also had with the ultra running company that I mentioned is whether or how exactly they talk about offsetting for competitors who are going to come to their events um, mm. because you just don't want to have a situation where you're part of the narrative of saying if you do this then it's okay I think yeah. that's more of a bigger problem in the outdoor community than the, just the technicalities of on an individual level, if you do it or not. Yeah, it's difficult that because I guess it sort of it, it goes a little bit against the whole like if you're making some positive changes, then that's good, you know, because, again, it might yeah. make people think like, oh, well, if if offsets are, are bullshit and. I'm supposed to reduce my flights and I'm, I'm being flight shamed, then maybe I'm just going to further disengage from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess like from a personal experience, when I offset, I have to type in to a thing how many trips I've been on and where I've driven and and you really get to see like, oh, whoa, this is my impact. Like when I drove down to Cornwall in a diesel van or when I drove somewhere else in my EV this was the difference and and I I get to see that and before I offset it was so easy for me to forget about the impact that I'd had from driving or flying Mm. yeah I think that was one of the really interesting things because I'd never really thought about it like that so I guess that that is a positive definitely like undeniably I guess but um I guess it's just making sure that's not like the end point yeah it's kind of like a step in the yeah yeah and that you're communicating it that you're trying to reduce as well I suppose Mm -hmm. or that you're doing other things Um, yeah and I think the other thing I found interesting like you mentioned um like you've been trying to reduce flights and you know you could have taken more opportunities uh in any given year if you'd just not worried about flying or you know made more money and stuff I I think it'd be really cool to see more athletes talking about that kind of thing 
I guess publicly because yeah then it's also an interesting thing of like I don't know a couple of decades ago athletes could just be athletes before everyone became influencers you know you could be a climber and you're just a climber like yeah that's all you've got to do now with social media and this thing of influencers there's so much more responsibility I'm sure that's like a whole other discussion yeah but you know you don't get anything for free like people think I get mm. to climb and be paid for it I don't get to I don't get paid to climb I get paid to do a host of all of other things um a large proportion of which involve flying um and you know I can only speak for myself but it's true that we only see what people do. We don't see what people don't do. So, you know, the amount of festivals I've not gone to because um, I don't want to fly just just to go to a festival around the world. And I'm sure that's the same for a lot of other people, you know, like but you see your friends flying. Yeah. yeah, but how do you do that without sounding like know, a knob? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, 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 I yeah. turned down five opportunities and it so sounds so like, yeah grotesquely privileged right like because that's the other thing like the only reason I can turn down those opportunities and take a bit of a dent of a in my paycheck is because I can right because I'm like Mm. a lucky privileged person most people don't have that luxury so what are you what message are you saying there to people who would absolutely jump at the chance to fly around the world and get paid for it um so it's yeah. difficult. It's like it's fraught with, I mean, you're doomed if you do and you're doomed if you don't, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But but it's, 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 just, it's just navigating the, the modern world and it's, um, it's definitely harder for influencers, I think, um, mm. to strike that balance and people do it in different ways. But I think... That's true, yeah. Yeah, talking I to you I think I basically... Yeah, go oh, on. sorry. Um, yeah, even though just then I was like, oh, maybe we should see more of that. I guess I'm already disagreeing with myself because it, it's, it's like tapping right into what I said we shouldn't do, which is basically say, oh, individually I've done this. What have you done? Yeah, which I think it's so easy. Like just now, it's so easy to just get sucked into that mindset that I think we have to just keep reminding ourselves that like it needs to be a collect you just have to think about yeah a collective thing you know like you're mm-hmm. an athlete in a group of a community which involves athletes in a similar position and there's all the different influences you have or are under in that community and how can they work together to change not oh I've done this what have you done yeah yeah yeah, not pointing pointing fingers, I guess. You know, like some of the most inspiring people I know um, just are just people who live that life. They don't tell other people what to do. They don't point fingers. They just live this, you know, I just have a neighbor down the road and they only travel by EV or train. That's just their only modes of transport. Mm. And it, but then you know if you say oh I'm, I'm flying to Greece next week they're like oh great have a good time you know they're not looking at you scornfully or they're not bullying yeah. you around your decisions yeah. and I think like you're probably a, a similar you know like living you're demonstrating kind of a 
a lifestyle that we could all aspire to be more like yeah I feel I feel like that's kind of the the more positive way to go is like as you say work as a collective but also have compassion towards people and not Mm. this bullying pointing finger mentality you know I think yeah it's funny Uh, I stayed with some people on my trip and I'd kind of said something like oh are you going on holiday anywhere you know this year and they kind of all looked at each other like like (laughs) and one of them was like don't tell her and I was just like what like tell me they were like we're flying on a scuba diving holiday (laughs) and I was just like great I mean like if you're really if you really are not going to cancel it then the only thing you can do is really enjoy it yeah if you really got to fly <laughs> so like I'm not gonna be like you know cancel it right yeah it's just not that's a really negative way to go so yeah I think yeah it was interesting yeah yeah <laughs> so out of everything you know do you feel like there's something we've not talked about or we've not covered I think we didn't talk as much about the kind of relationship between brands and athletes and but we did touch on it a little bit so around the idea of like how brands use athletes to sell more stuff that kind of thing Mm. I guess I'd be kind of interested in what you think about this because athletes being so much like advertisements I guess is a reasonably recent-ish thing at the intensity it is now with social media that kind of came hand in hand and I I think that really drives a lot of consumption and I actually I think I read a thing by Andy Kirkpatrick about how he never sees anyone in like really old patched up Mm. outdoor gear anymore and I think that's a really big impact that we often don't talk about when we talk about brands we often think oh this one's sustainable and this one Mm. isn't but actually there's this overriding issue of the fact that everything is so commercialized and it's just the amount of stuff that is pushed out to like constantly making us want to buy stuff um and I guess I'm interested to know what you think of if what like an alternative model could be like how could that could could you be an athlete and not somehow be an advertisement not in today's world but could that change in the future like how could the whole yeah um well so it's something I've not thought loads about honestly and I should think more about it um because I'm someone who does wear their clothes until they have holes in them and then I give them away to my friends who want to patch them up just so I don't look really bad you know like (laughs) sometimes I arrive at the crag and people are like aren't you supposed to be sponsored like why does your stuff have holes in it and I'm like well it, it lasts a long time and I think like the company that um sponsors me Black Diamond they're not like the best best at their sustainability stuff but they make stuff that lasts like I have mm-hmm. clothes from them that just last for years and years and years, you know, like quality clothing that lasts. Um, and then I also just have millions of friends that get my clothes after I'm done with them. So it feels like 
I'm not wasting a lot. And I feel like in the climbing community, people really use their clothes and people don't spend a lot of money on clothes because they want to spend it on climbing trips. <laughs> like that's the kind of the feeling yeah. I get that like most people don't have more than one expensive jacket. Um, mm. But like as to in terms of like being advertisements, that is what I get paid for. You know, like, that's my job essentially. Like I'm, I'm supposed to promote BD equipment and clothing and I'm kind of happy to do that because it does last a long time. I think I could speak more about, and this is what Patagonia does about, you know, if something breaks, send it back in and we'll, we'll repair it. Or this is how you should recycle your clothing afterwards. Or, you know, there's more information about not needing as much and repairing and recycling and, and that kind of thing. And I think that I definitely could do more to sort of convey that message alongside, you know, buy this if you need it, because it's going to last a long time. But if you don't need it, don't buy it. Um, Mm. And I feel like I could probably speak to BD about what that might look like. Because Patagonia, I found really interesting because they're the only brand I know of who don't have, they don't ask their athletes to do any kind of tag social media posts or hashtagging or anything like that because they take the view that athletes shouldn't do that they're athletes not advertisements so it just I guess that they still are advertisements they still are because they're in climbing films they're still they're still on social media wearing Patagonia clothing they're in climbing films Mm. wearing Patagonia clothing they're still advertisements just because they're not being tagged that's what they're getting paid for. If they weren't on social media, if they weren't in any climbing films, if they weren't, they didn't have any kind of exposure, they wouldn't be sponsored athletes. Okay. I think, I don't know, maybe it's not so in your face with climbing. I'm trying to think of the examples on social media. But I've really noticed with running, you know, Salomon bring out a new pair of shoes it's so targeted. Like suddenly all the Salomon athletes are saying the same thing. They're like, oh, this is my favorite pair of shoes. Yeah. They're all kind of di- trying to disguise it. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like, he's like, this is the new jacket and you're supposed to have this because this is going to be yeah. even warmer than the last one. Yeah, um, or they bring, I don't know, uh, there was a brand who bought out a new pair of shoes, hyped it up loads, everyone bought it. And then a week later, they were like, we've got the shoes in a new colour. It's just like, why didn't you just release them all at once? Because yeah. this colour's better. They know it's better. They released it second because they knew it was better colour. <laughs> and now yeah. everyone's bought two pairs of shoes. So I don't know. I guess I find it interesting because it's a, like a recent social media fueled thing of how intense it is but maybe maybe it's just not as intense in yeah like more climbing brands maybe running brands have just gone a bit crazy I think the more I think about it no I think well yeah I mean yeah I think it is probably kind of bad in climbing too in terms of like campaigns and new lines I think that probably is bad and I guess I don't necessarily see that as much um, so obviously all the athletes are wearing the new stuff but it's not like they throw away the old stuff they they give it away you know so um but yeah I guess that is it's really is driving community consumerism if you're constantly bringing out new stuff um, mm. I guess it's it's the reason um 
I focused on that is it plays into the like the aspirational thing mm. that that I mentioned before is um the thing we hold up as aspirational is really uh there's a lot of influence from brands and uh like way more than it would have been in the past which yeah. is kind of fueling the machine of consumerism yeah totally yeah yeah I think I think there's definitely some some positive change that could could happen there without totally you know I mean we still live in a capitalist capitalist society so there's only so much change we can make but we totally could do better even within the capitalist framework I think Mm. yeah cool all right well do you feel like we we did it (laughs) yeah I think so yeah I think I'm sure I'll remember loads of stuff afterwards but that's always what happens (laughs) yeah 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 um but we can always do it again or we could write something or or I'm sure it'll be I'm sure it'll be fine yeah yeah I think that was basically the main points yeah yeah well thanks a lot for doing with this with me um thank you great chat I learned loads If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to donate. You can visit hazel-findlay.com and go to podcast and then you can click donate. The money just goes to Alex Dempsey, who kindly has been editing the audio of these podcasts for free. So, well, just the donations go towards him, but... Other than that, it's it's work, it's free labour from him. So we're really thankful for his work, but it would be a lot nicer if we could pay him. So if you feel like donating, then that would be great. We've had offers to sponsor this podcast, but we are keen to keep it free of advertisement for your listening enjoyment and also so that we can be free to talk about whatever we want and not be directed by sponsors. So if you like the kind of content that is free from advertisement and free from the push and pulls of what sponsors might want us to talk about, then please donate and then we can keep this work going. So hazel-finley.com podcast donate. Thanks so much.